0: Hey, Jacob's Well Online. Pastor Grant Schultz here. We are in week six of our message series seven, all about the message from the Spirit of Jesus to the church at Philadelphia, an ancient Greek city full of survivors who persevered, who endured, and whose encouragement from Jesus is particularly meaningful. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Man, there's just something powerful about that song. And as we've been in the book of Revelation, I'm just reminded that those endless days of the people of God singing his praise have already begun. We're now part of a global movement of people who worship and lift high the name of Jesus, and that is never going to stop. It's begun, and it's a flame. It's a light that no person, no power can put out. It's a special thing to be the people of God, to learn who we are. Now that Jesus has become glorified Jesus, the lamb and the lion, and the one who will return, and as we've looked in Revelation, specifically at the messages the spirit of Jesus has for the seven churches of Revelation, there's that reality presented with the reality of the glorified Jesus, awesome in power and might, awesome in love, who walks among the churches, who knows what it is to be alive, even here and now, as a human person. And Jesus has a message for each of these churches, for each representation of the people of God that can also be applied to the historical Christian church, believers throughout all of time. And that means that right now and right here, that's us. These messages hold truth for us in our church and in our own lives as individual people, loved and called by God. Each message, as we've seen, follows a similar pattern, and the message to the church in the ancient Greek city of Philadelphia is no different. Yet as we've seen with all these other letters to these different churches in different situations, the significance of the meaning, what Jesus is saying, For each location and for each situation it addresses is unique for each church. So it begins, the the letter to the church at Philadelphia, there's a revelation about the Lamb, about Jesus, his nature and character, who he is, followed by a word of encouragement for those believers. And then in one big difference from most of the other letters, there's not a word of correction, not that these were perfect people and had figured it all out and never needed correction, but they were on course still, in spite of some great difficulty and some circumstances that were horribly painful. It's similar to the church in Smyrna, the persecuted church we looked at a few weeks ago. Their perseverance and faith had kept them on course. No major course correction necessary at this time. There's a word of warning. It's, it's not really like a... Dun, 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 word of warning. It's more of a warning and encouragement hybrid. It's a call to be mindful, to be aware, followed by a promise of reward for those who overcome. That truly, I think, is so special. It's it's taken on a deep personal significance for me, and I believe you're going to be encouraged by and blessed by that as well. And finally, as in all the other messages, there's an admonition to listen, not just to read these words, not just to hear me say them tonight or have heard them before, but to ingest, take in, deeply consider the truth of what the Spirit of Jesus is saying. Here's the revelation about the Lamb. It's in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Now, when I hear Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, I think of the old 76ers, Dr. J with the huge afro. I think of Ben Franklin and the Liberty Bell, the roots, Eagles fans pelting Santa with snowballs, the fresh Prince of Bel-Air in West Philadelphia, born and raised. I'll stop right there. I could do the whole thing, but I won't. Ancient Philadelphia, It's way different than the Philadelphia up here in my brain, which is a good thing. Its name does mean brotherly love. It was founded by the king of Pergamum in honor of his favorite brother, who he was very close to, who he loved very much. And it wasn't an overly large city, but it was very important. It was at the intersection of... Uh, borders and trade roads that connected three different cities. So strategically important, not in a military sort of way, but in a cultural way for spreading the advancements and the influence of Greek culture and civilization. So the believers there in Philadelphia would have been mostly of Gentile background, not culturally, historically Jewish, and their community of believers probably looked a lot like ours do, a melting pot of people from a bunch of different places who didn't share history, who didn't share culture, but who, because trade had brought them there, and maybe they made a little bit of money, maybe they set up a life there, or fell in love, got married, had babies, they stayed. Set up lives there, essentially becoming culturally Greek over time, and peacefully, too, for the most part. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true. That's Jesus. Him who is holy and true. This is all about establishing the power and glory of Jesus. He's holy, completely righteous, and without blemish. The description of God himself. In fact, that's a word we will sing for endless days. Holy, holy, holy around the throne. There is no one who is his equal. It also says he is true. Now in Greek there are two words for true. One means true in the sense of a true statement being different from a false statement. But the other meaning means something real as opposed opposed to that which is unreal or non-existent. So what Jesus says and who Jesus is, that is real. That is Reality. Jesus is the truth itself, and he holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. He holds the key of David. This is a symbol of kingly authority, Jesus as the one with final authority. There's an account back in the Old Testament where King Hezekiah had a faithful steward named Eliakim who had authority over his entire estate, his entire household, and who alone could admit people into the presence of the king. He alone stood at the door and would either admit you or not into the presence of the king. What this means is that Jesus now holds that key, the key to open the door, which he has done by his death and resurrection. The door is open. Wide open to all who believe. Jesus is the new and living way into the presence of God. And because he is, he holds all authority, he holds the key of David, David, that means that what he establishes stands. Like we've seen in all the other letters to the churches so far, the most important source of truth, of power, of authority, holiness, purity is Jesus. His is the most trustworthy voice we could listen to. And here's his word of encouragement, starting in verse 8, to these believers in Philadelphia. I know your deeds. See, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. This Jesus, holy and true in every way, who alone is the doorway into God's presence. He knows the truth about the believers in Philadelphia. He knows the reality of their lives, what they've done in response to his truth, how they've lived as a community of believers, and he's put an open door in front of them that no one can shut, which many commentators, scholars take to mean this door of missionary opportunity, sharing the good news of the gospel. As I mentioned a little bit ago, Philadelphia was a strategic city. In fact, because of frequent interaction of people from many places and cultures, Philadelphia actually was referred to as kind of a missionary city for Greek culture, for advancing the Greek way of life. Not only was it a Greek city itself, but people traveling through there if they stayed for any length of time or interacted for trade or whatever purposes, they would travel through, they would experience some of these cultural advancements. Like, wow, this civilized society is pretty nice, better than our old barbaric ways out in the country. You know, city folk, they actually were trusted back then in Philadelphia. Um, they would take pieces of what they experienced. They took benefits of what they experienced in Greek culture and they would take it with them, back to their own homes, back to their own places when they left. The Apostle Paul often referred to his missionary work by describing things like a wide door that was open. He prayed for an open door to be able to teach the word of God. He would describe how God had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And that open door would have meant something significant for this city. The world came through Philadelphia at that time. The Imperial Postal Service went through there as a central hub. The armies of Caesar, merchant caravans, and now that open door of opportunity to advance a kingdom and a culture stood in front of these believers, to advance love To live changed lives so that as people traveled through Philadelphia, not only were they impacted by Greek culture and the advancements of society, they were impacted by, changed by, what they saw among the faithful people of God on their travels. That they were different. That there was an invitation there. That there was a, a drawing close there. And that door is open all around us too. No different in our homes, in our schools, even here in our own church, to share, to live the story of what Jesus has done for us as kind of an open door of sharing the good news of the gospel, of living lives that function like a pathway toward Jesus Christ. And now that that door is opened and anyone who believes by faith can come in, no one gets to shut it nobody and now it's our privilege and responsibility like it was for the believers in Philadelphia to welcome others through that open door that Jesus is into the presence of God he continues and says I know that you have little strength yet you've kept my word and have not denied my name What this means is not that they're the little church that could, like one preacher said. I thought that was kind of demeaning toward these people in Philadelphia. It means they're weary. They're weary. They had little strength left. Because the city of Philadelphia suffered from frequent earthquakes. Like real ones, bad ones. In fact, in A.D. 17, about 50 or 60 years before the revelation was written... The city was devastated, completely leveled by a huge earthquake. So the emperor Tiberius, because of how important the city was, he gave enormous financial support to rebuild the city. But this wasn't just about one big earthquake one time. There were frequent earthquakes. They lived on this fault line area and experienced frequent earthquakes. The ancient Greek historian Strabo wrote this, And Philadelphia has not even its wall unimpaired, but daily they are shaken in some way, and gaps are made in them. But the inhabitants continue to occupy the land, notwithstanding their sufferings, and to build new houses. How awesome is that? I mean, every day they lived in fear, in the risk of things toppling and collapsing and falling apart. There were daily aftershocks, Daily frustrations with rebuilds. Can you imagine you just rebuilt half your house and then another aftershock and it all falls in again? Can you imagine coming back into your home, trying to sleep that first night, knowing in the middle of the night it could happen all over again? They were weary, but they had kept God's word through it all. They had little strength left, but they had some. And so Jesus has brought them a word of encouragement because they've hung on so far, and he's here to give them the courage they need. If it wasn't difficult enough to hang on to faith in Jesus and to keep his word in the middle of earthquakes and disaster, there were some other people there wanting to shut the door that Jesus had opened. In verse 9, it says, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. Now, I'll stop there just to say, like Pastor Paul mentioned a few weeks back, the synagogue of Satan is not Satan's mailing address. He didn't literally live there. This is about some traditional Jews who wanted the old reality back, where one day all nations would bow down to the nation of Israel, where the nation of Israel alone was the people of God. But that would close this door that Jesus had opened. It would be the opposite of what God had intended and established. So because there were people working counter, exactly counter to the purposes of God's will, they're referred to as the synagogue of Satan. Devil's advocates, you know what I mean? Now we know there's a new Israel. And being part of the people of God is about faith in Jesus Christ it's about the heart it's not about one physical nation or culture to say the old way was still in effect would be a lie of those people Jesus says I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you now that's not some sort of ultimate you know prideful vindication for us like see we told you so we were right all along What it means is that the, that's my whiny voice, you're welcome, now you know what I sound like when I'm sick. The promises that had formerly been made to the nation of Israel had been inherited by the church of Jesus. One day, all the mockers, all the people who are naysayers, all the people who poke at, who shame the people of God, one day, guess what, every knee will bow. Maybe not in submission to or surrender to, but certainly in full acknowledgement of Jesus Christ as Lord of all. And when that happens, those who have kept the faith, those who have endured, those who keep the word of Jesus will be seen and known as those God has loved, his special people, his beloved. It will have been worth it. Verse 10 Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole earth to test the inhabitants of the earth. Through it all, these believers endured, he says, through natural disaster and destruction, through the tension of people wanting to kick them out and shut the door to the throne room of God behind them. They endured it patiently, not passively, not doormats, but patiently. They were willing to hold out for the long-term promise to come to pass. Yes, they felt the reality of their situation. They lived with constant danger of earthquakes and aftershocks. But they also kept going, trying again, rebuilding, hanging on. And there's more to come for the whole earth. Now, when we read, I will keep you from the trial... What people love to do is say, how can I live like a Philadelphian Christian so that when the tribulation hits during the apocalypse, I'm out of here. He just plucks me out of it. I don't have to experience a thing. Well, that's not exactly what's going on here. Some have taken that to literally mean those future things that we cannot know, that all true believers at the time of the future, end of days will be protected and everyone else goes through the trial and the tribulation But this is where it's important to consider language, translation. And scholars generally agree that the preposition here, translated from, actually means in. I will keep you in the trial, in the hour of trial that's coming. Or through that hour of trial, which is something they would have already known because they had clung to their faith and endured. You've kept my command, Jesus says. So I will keep you. These believers can find courage in the knowledge that as they know, when trial and tribulation, when earthquakes come to destroy, Jesus will continue to be with them. Jesus will continue to protect and preserve and love on them. And we know what this feels like. We know that hour of trial, we feel it. We feel the tension of simply being alive in the world. All people, everywhere, no one exempt, everyone experiences times of trial. Great pain, severe loss, grief that's unbearable, and through all kinds of trials. When we keep faith in Jesus, we can know, even if things feel scary and feel at risk, or we feel lost, the truth has been established that we are secure In the care of God. Jesus sees these people in Philadelphia. He sees the little strength they have left. And he acknowledges this truth to them. You are survivors. You are survivors. Survivors of earthquakes. Aftershocks. Mockery. Certainly those aren't the only kinds of calamities or disasters we experienced, but I want to ask you, what have been the earthquakes, the most destructive forces in your story, in your life? I bet you can think of the big ones right off the bat, or the most recent ones that hurt the most still, right away. And then I think if we took the time to make a list, not only could you pick out and write out what those big earthquakes have been, but then you also could see Oh, and then there was this aftershock that that was part of this or caused by this and led to this. Or this ripple effect that spread out or that lingers still. Loss, grief, pain, abuse, actual physical disasters. Storms, broken relationships, hardships, uncountable. So many things for all of us. It's always been that way. It was that way for the believers in Philadelphia too. Now, after all that, through all that, maybe in the middle of some of that going on right now, you have survived. You ever think about that? Sometimes we only think of how far we have yet to go to make it. But guess what? You are making it. You need to know that. Life's not over. You've survived. You, all of you in this room, are survivors too. You who keep... Coming back to faith, sometimes against all logical reason, like why would you come back and try again, but you keep struggling again and again to stand back up in your faith, to keep searching for the truth, to keep rebuilding, to keep bringing your focus back and fixing it squarely on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of your faith, who was a survivor too, the ultimate survivor. And guess what? What? To all you who are just surviving right now, there's not another way. Jesus is pleased with your survival. He's pleased with you for clinging, for hanging in there. Now, sometimes it can feel like the pressure on us as believers is to always win by a mile. Win by a hundred points. Win by a huge margin. When most of the time, the reality of life in general, and even a life of deep faith, is way more about surviving. But we do a good job of selling this idea of what we're supposed to feel like. You know, feel better, just magically. Be confident all the time. Be bold and just declare things, and like just always feel good about it. Be unwavering. And then so many messages... That I've heard, that I know others have heard, that if we're just surviving, or if we feel like we have little strength left, or if we feel like we're barely hanging in there, then we're doing it wrong. Well, guess what? Jesus says something different. To all of you who don't win by a mile, you are survivors. You know, I don't think it's about a right way versus a wrong way to live by faith. It's about the reality of the human life of faith, which requires survival. So for all you survivors in this room, for all the survivors listening online, with all your reasons to not trust people, to not trust God, to not believe anymore, to let go, to give it all up, to turn away, to lose hope, to live only in fear and cynicism, guess what? The encouragement isn't, figure out a different way, a better way to do it. It's just to keep surviving. That is a life of faith. Now, when we think of a word of correction, there's not one. Because it's not wrong to be weary. It's not wrong to admit you've got barely any strength left. It's not wrong. It's not sinful to have a hard time trusting And the need to keep rebuilding, it's not wrong to be just surviving, it's reality. And it's a reality that means we constantly need the Jesus who walks among the churches, actively, alive, who's with us, who identifies with us, not in spite of our human struggles, but because he struggled as a human too. The Jesus whose power is at its strongest, when we can finally admit that we are weak, that's our Jesus. Jesus. So while he doesn't correct them, he does give them this word of warning encouragement in verse 11. He says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Which isn't so much a warning. Like it's not a hold on or else. It's more of a reminder to be aware that there's great urgency to live by faith in light of the promise that Jesus one day will return to fully set things right. This warning is to keep on doing what they've been doing and to not let go, not drop their faith. And we see throughout the Bible stories of people who gave up Their space, who who lost their place to someone else because they proved to not care enough about it. They proved to not be fit to hold that place. They maybe didn't learn. They didn't have humility. They didn't listen to wisdom. They didn't have the big picture in mind. So Jesus says to the Philadelphian church something very simple. He says, hold on. Hold on. Just when we're at the end of our strength, sometimes the most encouraging thing is to hear someone you love, someone who sees you and gets you, simply say, hold on. you got this. You can do this. Just hold on a little longer. You're going to make it. I was thinking this week of the words to the classic R.E.M. song, Everybody Hurts. If you went through teenage angst around the same time I did, that song is super meaningful for you too. I know it. And the words say, sometimes everything is wrong. And when you feel like giving up, hold on. Hold on. Now, I don't know what your earthquakes have been. I don't know what your daily aftershocks feel like. I know my own. And I know that many times I've been afraid that I actually was losing my grip On faith in Jesus. A few years ago, before I came to work here, and while I was a rookie chaplain resident downtown at Mayo Hospital, I felt like letting go. Everything felt wrong. I felt like giving up. Everything just hurt all the time. My life of faith had been upended by spiritual and psychological trauma, and everything, not just spiritually, but everything in life collapsed. So many things I had believed I thought were true or maybe just was too shallow in my understanding of those things that were core to me felt on shaky, shaky ground, to say the least. I ended this one anxiety-filled day down there, you know, like praying with people who are truly physically suffering and grieving, praying with them or on behalf of them to a God I just wasn't sure I trusted. The same way anymore. And after I got done with my shift and I was driving home, I pulled up on Rudolph to the, the intersection of Rudolph Road and Claremont. And I just had had it. I mean, not just little strength left. I had my moment of feeling no strength. And I looked up into the sky above the The red light in front of me, uh, there's probably some meaning in that red light too. Like I, I stopped there, I looked up in the sky, and this is what I just had to admit. Out loud, I said, God, I don't know if I can believe you're real anymore after all this. It'll never feel the same again. And I meant it. I don't know if I can believe you're real anymore, God. And God didn't speak from the sky in a booming voice to say, hold on. It would have been awesome. <laughs> and God didn't guilt me for just admitting what was real. I needed to say it. I needed to name it. And nothing got fixed right away. Nothing changed. It just hurt. But I think deep down there was truth in me that I already knew from so many past experiences with Jesus, if I hold on, if I just hold on, Jesus holds on to me. If I just hold on, eventually I'll come back to a place of knowing I have been held the entire time. And I got to tell you, it's true. And Jesus will keep you. He'll hold you too. Just hold on. The promise of reward for those who overcome in verse 12. The one who is victorious, I'll make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. Now victory here, the one who is victorious. This is in reference not to winning by a mile, but to endurance, patience, holding on, surviving, trying again. It's about making it. Even if it's just making it. Many times my biggest victories have been those nights when my head hits the pillow and I simply think or Jen and I will even say to each other, we made it just through another day. That's the biggest victory there is. I'm still here. That's victory so much more than winning by a mile feels like victory. And there's special meaning here too. These survivors in Philadelphia, these believers who kept God's word, who held on to their faith, especially in the face of of physical reality of disaster and destruction, their daily fear of loss and tragedy, they would become pillars in the temple of God. What a beautiful promise of security to people for whom those words would have had extra special meaning. Jesus says, to those who have only known instability, you will become the most stable part of my house. For years, as Philadelphia was hit by recurring earthquakes and aftershocks, the citizens of the city had to flee the city, leave the city, out into the open country surrounding them, live in tents, very temporary. And then, after things had sort of subsided, I don't know, days, weeks later, they would very... Uncertainly go back in once those tremors had ended. And even when they did go back in, they lived in fear of everything collapsing. And he says, Jesus says to them, never again will you have to leave in order to be safe. Never again will you know that uncertainty. You will be safe and secure forever in the temple of God. He says, I will write my name on them. I'll write on them the name of my God And the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. These people will be marked. They belong to God and it will be highly visible. They are of the family of the house of God. They are citizens, not of a disaster prone earthly landscape, citizens of a new Jerusalem. After Philadelphia was rebuilt, after that earthquake in AD 17, the city changed names a couple of times in gratitude and honor of the kings, emperors who had been kind to them and helped them rebuild. But what this means is that in the coming age of Jesus' eternal reign, when he has conquered all, his faithful ones will bear his new name. And now this is a future name that we don't know yet but one that reflects that coming reality of Jesus' eternal kingdom. Even that will be marked on us. And what that means to these believers, what that means to believers throughout history is that you have a permanent, unshakable home. No earthquake can destroy it. Nothing can make it collapse. No lie can tear it down. You have a permanent, unshakable home where you don't have to be afraid anymore of destruction and disaster. Jesus knows what your survival mode feels like. Jesus knows right now for you in this room, for those listening, he knows how unstable things can feel. He knows the same reality we do, where life can feel so impermanent, so fickle, so shaky. He's kept you, he's keeping you, he will keep you, which means you've got a permanent, unshakable home that cannot be taken away. Now, when we're here together as the church, we experience pieces of that that are beautiful and unifying as we endure, as we survive, as we walk alongside each other, as those who are survivors, as we continue to hope and to live by faith, no matter what chaos and destruction is outside. But there's a day coming when every insecurity, every bit of our current shakiness and weariness will be replaced by an everlasting reality of not just having a home, but of always being home. And of being an incredibly strong structural element in God's house, in his family. And that's pretty amazing. It doesn't doesn't mean you've got to win by a mile to experience that. It means keep holding on, keep surviving. It comes to us not because we win big or live perfect lives, but because we are loved by God. And Jesus invites us to hear what he's saying and to let it sink in deeply. The last verse we'll look at tonight is this admonition to listen. Whoever has ears, in verse 13, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Here's what the Spirit says to the church at Philadelphia you are survivors hold on because you have a permanent and unshakable home take these words to heart can you hear what the spirit of Jesus says to you don't let anyone shame you for your survival mode but don't let surviving rob you of your faith either Keep surviving, keep holding on, keep looking toward and hoping for that permanent, unshakable home. So to close tonight, I want to ask you the big question revealed by this message to the Philadelphian church, a question that invites all of us to live in the truth of what Jesus is saying, and this is it. Are you holding on? Are you still holding on? As you hold on, That's where the open door of opportunity still is to make Jesus, to make a life of faith in Jesus real for people who aren't holding on, for people who right now don't feel like they have a home that's unshakable, for people who may never have met Jesus, for people who feel they've lost their grip. As you hold on, even with little strength left in your grip, you make faith in Jesus real and accessible for all the other survivors out there who need the same word of encouragement we need, who feel like they're barely making it or they're not going to make it. Let the holding on give you, as one quote that I love says, let it give you soft hearts and hard feet you got empathy and compassion for people just barely making it because that's you too. And you go to where they are because you've been there too. Don't let holding on, don't let surviving give you a hard heart and soft feet. That's not how we're called to live. Are you holding on? Has there been yet in your life an earthquake powerful enough to make you let go? Have there been naysayers whose voices are loud enough to convince you the door is closed to you? And even if you're afraid that you have let go of your faith in Jesus, do not fear because he has not and never will let go of you. Maybe ask this, what in your life has collapsed that feels beyond repair or rebuilding? I remember describing some of what I've been through in the past handful of years this way, like the entire upper structure of my life, the one visible to myself and everybody else, the entire upper, above-ground structure of my faith, my relationship with God got pulverized, crushed, totally gone, wiped out, nothing visible above the surface at all. And when all I could do was hold on, and even when it felt like nothing was happening and nothing would fix anything, and when it felt like nothing would ever be built there again, the entire time, And I learned this in more ways, always. The entire time Jesus was working to dig deeper, to establish the footings, the foundation for something new in my life, in my faith that could never come down again. Hold on. It's enough. It's enough. Keep holding on. Now you might want to make this more personal. So For a next step for you, first I would encourage you to grab a devotional booklet on your way out at the Connection Center. Please do. These are written to help you reflect on your life, your story, your present situation, and what that looks like in light of the promises, the truth of Jesus Christ. Grab a devotional. Go deeper in your study of God's word and in prayer around these same types of of words. These same types of realities in your own life. We also have the holidays coming up. And when it comes to family, relationship, sometimes the holidays seem like they're just reminders of the earthquakes and aftershocks we've experienced. So a couple things I want to let you know about. Tuesday night, we have, as part of our divorce care and grief share groups, we have a surviving the holidays class for each of those. This Tuesday, Please check those out. If you're walking into the holidays just feeling the aftershocks of pain, loss, grief, complication, anger, whatever's there, please consider going to one of those classes. I also encourage you to think of this open door we constantly have of communication with God to pray, to simply come before him and acknowledge before Jesus what Jesus already knows, that life is hard. Sometimes we feel like we're barely making, well, most times we feel like we're barely making it. Talk to Jesus about it. And talk to some other people about it too, please. I'm not saying everybody has to join a small group, but small groups are the place where people really get to know each other's stories and walk alongside each other. But at the very least, please let someone know. Someone you trust, someone God invites you to trust. Let someone know about your earthquakes and aftershocks. And finally, we've got a care form on our website. You know, sometimes it's just too much to consider talking about our stories with another person. So if that's you, there's a a more anonymous way to, to talk to somebody, to start to build connection. That's to go to our website, to our care page, and to fill out a care form and just generally share your situation. Someone will call you, follow up with you, and you can begin to speak of the reality that you're in. And get cared for there. Are you holding on? Jesus would say well done. Are you barely making it? Jesus would say keep going. You're doing great. I'm with you. And as we close the worship team is going to introduce a song. And it will be a new song for us. But it's one that already we on our staff and on our worship team. We've come to deeply love. We have Actually I've not really been able to wait to introduce this to you, and I'm so glad it's happening now because it's disarming in its simplicity and its ministry of peace and comfort in the spirit. It has this description of finding safety and peace in God's presence, of longing to always be in his midst. I encourage you that, that this is a time to reflect in your spirit on what Jesus is saying to you as the team plays and let's pray now as we close. Jesus, we want to hear what your spirit says to the churches. We need the words of correction, of warning that you offer. We need the reminders to stay true to the life you've called us to. And yet, honestly, when it comes to this, it's It's not about being corrected. It's about being encouraged to hold on. I thank you for that. You get the reality of what it feels like to be us. And So speak to us now. Speak that word of encouragement, of love and mercy to people surviving. And remind us that always there is safety and unshakable, permanent peace when we find our home with you. In Jesus' name.